Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Wednesday, February 13th, 2019. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Soretta, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Senior Writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? And writer Squire Trenbui. Hey, everyone. And Chris Evangelista. Hi. Okay, we got a bunch of news to cover today, so let's just dive into it. Let's dive into the most exciting news of the year, Chris, and that is that they are making a horror movie about a pair of jeans, killer jeans. They sure, they sure are. It's called Slacks with two X's, so you know it's it's really serious and hardcore. Uh, this is a film. It's about a haunted or slash possessed pair of designer jeans that uh, kills people. <laughs> and that's really all you really need to know. I mean, honestly, what more do you want from a major motion picture than killer jeans? Wait, For it I... to be directed by Wes Anderson. Okay. <laughs> but I don't well, understand this. Like, so, okay, uh, some girl goes to TJ Maxx and buys some jeans, right? And then she goes home and tries them on and she ends up being murdered. And then someone strangely is like i'm we're gonna donate these jeans to goodwill and gets that pair of jeans and then the second person's murdered that tries them on right and then, i think you understand this just fine peter why did you say i don't understand but, but all- how is like why would anybody want a pair of jeans of someone who got murdered in those jeans well you don't know there you know when you go to the goodwill and you buy something there's no way of knowing <laughs> if someone was murdered in that thing you're buying it's not like they put that on the tag like Someone was murdered while wearing this blouse. That doesn't, you know, for all you know, every pair of clothing <laughs> item at, at Goodwill is from a murder. But half off for the death discount. <laughs> yes. I mean, yes, you're correct. But okay, then how do the characters in the movie at some point come to the realization that it is the genes that are haunted? Oh, you're going to have to wait for the movie to find that out, my friend. I can't, you know, I can't tell you that so soon. We have to wait. Wait, do we know anybody involved here? It's it's people I've never heard of before, so I'm not even going to read their names. I, I think it's a it's a Canadian film. So okay, so this will probably be playing at uh, the Toronto International Film Festival in the Midnight Madness competition. 
I really hope so, so I could see it. I, I will be first in line for slacks. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, let's move on to some real news. Let's talk about Phil Lord and Chris Miller's next movie, which is going to be a live-action sci-fi adventure called The Last Human, which kind of sounds familiar because didn't they do The Last Man on Earth? Um, yes. And yeah. I mean, I guess if this last human could, you could say that he's solo on the planet. God, okay. <laughs> okay, it's Jake tell us about it. Uh, Phil Lord and Chris Miller are heading back into the live action realm with The Last Human, which is a sci-fi thriller uh, at the center of a very heated bidding war between multiple studios, uh, excepting Disney and Fox, of course, for obvious reasons. Uh, Sony's TriStar Pictures landed the the um fil- the film in what may be the biggest deal of the year thus far. It's an eight-figure deal. Um, and um, this is a film that's being described as, quote, reverse E.T., in which three robots discover and protect a human child. So not exactly Last Man on Earth, but uh, it's something that uh, has a very similar title. Um, and it's supposed to be set after the robot apocalypse, when humans have been extinct for 30 years, and follows a 12-year-old robot, who's happy to live in a world without crime, pollution, or war, but one day discovers a human, Emma, also 12 years old, who has been living her entire life inside an underground bunker. And they form an unlikely friendship and uh, go on a some sort of voyage to find uh, something on a map. So that's... Um, <laughs> they're, very... they're, they're looking for uh, dry land. Yes. Um, or perhaps the, last, the remnants of human yeah. civilization. Who knows? So this is going to be kind of a, a girl and her robot story, which we've kind of seen um, recently in a blockbuster form with Bumblebee. Um, but um, Lord Miller will be behind this. And they've, of course, seen great success recently with the Oscar nomination for the film Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, which they produced and which uh, Phil Lord co-wrote. And uh, this will be their first original story that they will be directing as a feature film. Um, they've only really done uh, adaptations or, uh, yeah, just adaptations of known properties before uh, as directors. So this will be the first, I think, original concept that they'll be doing um, as as the directors. You know, this kind of worries me, guys, because I think this is the first film that they're making that actually sounds like it could be a good movie from the concept. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, it, like usually they make things that, um, you know, we, we think are like, oh, that's not going to be good. You know, 21 Jump Street movie or, you know, uh, uh, solo Star Wars story or, you know, Cloudy with the Chance of Meatballs or a movie based on Legos and they under promise and over deliver. But everything about this sounds very cool to me. This sounds like totally something up my alley. Um, what do you guys think? Are you excited for this? I'm intrigued. I um, yeah, I, I really like the like reverse ET angle, and it seems like something that is very kind of on trend for today. There's a a big kind of comeback for that childhood adventure story, um, especially with like robots thrown in. And um, I think that with the Lord and Miller and Chris Miller behind this, this could be a really just. Um, enchanting and captivating movie and i i trust them i think like i 
didn't, I mean, I also underestimated them for Lego Movie, <laughs> for 21 Jump Street, Everybody and did. they keep surprising me. Uh, we'll never know what happened with Solo a Star Wars yeah. Story, but I'm sure their version would have been pretty good as well. So I'm, I'm excited to see like what they have in store with an original movie. And I feel like I do understand your concerns. Like, this sounds good. It's also their first original movie. Could it be good? Or will it be like the reverse? But um, I, I think uh, this has got a lot going for it. It also sounds to me that, like, you know, after their experience uh, directing Solo a Star Wars Story and getting kicked off that project, the first film that they are, you know, tackling after that is a live-action sci-fi adventure story. It, it seems to me it's a little bit of, like, F you, Disney. <laughs> you know, we're going to show you what, what you know, we could have done or been capable of. Uh, ben, do you have any thoughts on this? Uh, I am very on board for pretty much everything they do until they... Uh, give me a reason to think otherwise. Yeah, yeah. Okay, let's move on to the Oscars. We've been talking a lot about how the Academy of Motion Pictures is trying to make the Oscars more exciting and digestible for the general audiences. And they've been trying to make a lot of bad decisions, the latest of which they're going to not broadcast live four of the categories. And this is... Uh, especially the categories that they have chosen has kind of uh, angered a lot of people around Hollywood. Ben, tell us about it. Yeah. So uh, in the latest terrible decision that the Academy has made about this, uh, this year's upcoming Oscar ceremony, they have said that uh, four categories, best cinematography, best editing, best live action short and best makeup and hairstyling are going to be announced in the actual theater during commercial breaks. And then, as you mentioned, sort of broadcast, like edited into a package and and aired in the ceremony at a later time. Uh, those awards are going to be streamed live online at Oscar.com if people are interested in watching it that way. And I know that, you know, some people I'm sure are going to watch it online, but the the vast majority of people are not going to be, you know, watching this um are, are not going to be like tuned into yeah. the live stream for this. So uh, naturally, a lot of Hollywood, uh, you know, players are very upset about this. People like Guillermo del Toro, uh, Alfonso Cuaron, Russell Crowe, all of whom who have won Oscars in the past, are uh, lodging their complaints about the this really really dumb decision. Uh, del Toro said, "I would not presume to suggest what categories should occur during commercials on Oscar night, but please, cinematography and editing are at the very heart of our craft. They are not inherited from a theatrical or literary tradition. They are cinema itself." Uh, and you can read several other um, responses from people that I've sort of compiled in this article at slashfilm.com. But that sort of gets to the heart of it. Um, the especially the categories the, the the idea of choosing cinematography and editing which as del toro talks about are, are like two essential components of making movies uh to have those not go up live and and for people not to be able to see that um you know as it happens is uh is an embarrassment frankly i have no idea why they would make this decision yeah it's um you know, I, I do want to say that I have seen a lot of people online outraged on social media, basically, uh, you know, expressing their anger over this. But a lot of people seem to be reading the headlines and not actually reading the stories. And it seems like a lot of these people seem to think that they are cutting these awards from the telecasts completely um, and not that they are going to air the acceptance speeches in some kind of truncated form. Mm -hmm. You know, when they come back from commercial or, or whatnot. And I'm not saying that that's any better. Oh, no, I am saying it's better. Yeah, it's slightly it, it, better. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's better because it's still going to be televised. It's just, uh, you know, the whole probably I'm assuming 
We don't know how it's going to be truncated, but I'm assuming that instead of having that long drawn out uh, reading the nominations thing, that they'll just have the nominations on screen and then be like, and whatever won, and then that person will just be up on stage and will get a one minute version of their acceptance speech. It's what I'm assuming is cool. Yeah, I really hope we get to at least hear their full speeches, but I don't know. I mean, that's the whole thing with this year's Oscars is they're really trying to, they say that they're trying to make the, the ceremony shorter. Um, and I'm worried that they're going to, because we, you know, the general audience won't know, I'm worried that they're going to cut around and, and sort of, uh, slice up some of those acceptance speeches, which is like a, a real shame because this is the one night a year that these people get acknowledged. Um, and yeah, it's, it's just a big bummer. Now, I'm going to play devil's advocate here, guys. You know, there's a whole part of the Academy Awards that is not televised on television called the Technical Academy Awards. And we're not all out there on Twitter arguing that we should be seeing these tech guys go up on stage and accept, you know, uh, awards for their advancement in, you know, visual effects and stuff like that. Um, but we are, the you know, someone that's doing... Uh, you know, docu- documentary short film. So w- what is the difference? Anybody else want to chime in here? No? <laughs> All right. Oh, I'll take it. Um, I, I mean, I think there has been some some discussion, I think, within the Academy itself about maybe having the, the live action, like the short categories being yeah. uh, packaged separately, sort of in a, in a, you know, at the governor's ball or whatever the, that technical ceremony might be. But for for something like cinematography and editing, I mean, the, like I said, that's just essential. That's movie making one on one. You cannot have a movie without <laughs> those things. And yes, you could you can make a movie without visual effects and without some of the other stuff that that appears in those other ceremonies. So I think it's just the the fact that this, you know, these four categories makeup and hairstyling, too. It's like, you know, that that's a very, very important part of making movies. And as far as I understand it, if this plan holds four different categories are going to be presented off camera at the 2020 Oscar ceremonies. And there's like a a rotation thing going on, but I cannot imagine that, you know, best actor or best picture or something (laughs) like that would ever get, you know, cycled in to this rotation. So it just, it seems like, um, I don't know the, the entire thing seems unnecessary. They really should just stop trying to reach the broadest possible audience in an attempt to reclaim the glory days of when, you know, 40 million people tuned into the Oscars and just accept that that's never going to happen again. And just like, let the show happen, man. What are you doing? <laughs> but how do you, how do you fix this then? Because, you know, the Oscars are an award ceremony, but they're also a television show. Do you know what I mean? Like a network pays lots of money to get the rights for the Oscars so that they can sell advertising and make money. And they want as many people as possible watching that because they've spent, you know, invested so much money. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm playing devil's advocate here. So they mm-hmm. need to present a show that's entertaining to mass audiences while somehow does not, uh, you know, compromise the award show in some way. So how how do you do that? I'm gonna, well, well, go ahead. First, get rid of the bit where they bring out the the people who count the tallies every time. Yeah. So that part always just like brings the show to a halt. And like that one year, they tried to turn it into a joke, and they had that you know like the little Asian accountants, and that just kind of Ugh. screwed them over too because that was just like all the racial stereotypes and everything. Yeah. So they they can probably get rid of that. 
Let's yeah, get, and let's, as as Chris has said many many times, get rid of all of the bits, all the stupid like you know man on the yes, street stuff, all of that. It's just get, that, that's. I mean, I love the Oscars, but even that that that's by far the worst part of the show. So first of all, Peter, I think that the answer is hire somebody who who wants to produce the show or who who uh, you know is going to be in charge of this, who actually gives a shit about the Oscars because it really <laughs> seems like whoever's in charge right now does not. And then you know maybe do five minutes worth of Googling into your host before you announce one, that, that could be a start too. Uh, you know, they, they actually went out to the rock this, this year to try to get him to host this, but he was busy filming Jumanji. Um, I don't know, maybe just like, <laughs> this is one of the, you know, this is the Academy's biggest night of the year. Maybe treat it as such. I, I don't know. Would, would we be happy? Or, I mean, would we not happy? Would we be okay if they did take the, the short, film categories what are there like three of them i think and maybe didn't show those live and run those as a package is that like is that a good compromise i mean i think so um i there will be people who are, are angry about anything but i think that's probably a better compromise especially because most people don't know you know, even us like people who work in the industry and, and cover the industry for a living are are like you know, completely unaware of a lot of the the short stuff, and like, you know, people, you know, try as you might, there a lot of that stuff is not easily found. Some of it is online, I think, for right now, and some of it might even be in theaters in the L.A. area. But uh, for the, the you know the big portion of the population, I feel like that's um, I, I don't know, not not even think? accessible. It's not even something they can see, right? Uh, if they if they wanted to. Uh, the craziest thing about this is earlier, I mean, l- late last year, the the Academy wanted to add another category to the ceremony, uh, which is just, I don't know, crazy. Anyways, uh, let's move on to a story that we weren't able to cover on Friday when I was away doing my interview with, uh, with uh, the Highlight Train Your Dragon uh, director. Uh, this story broke that they are making a horror movie spinoff of Aquaman. Chris, what is going on here? Yes, in in Aquaman, uh, Aquaman and Amber Heard's character with her terrible wig encounter uh, these creatures known as the Trench, who are uh, Atlanteans who, uh, I guess, mutated because they were in the the dark for so long, and you know they're they're scary uh, monsters basically. And uh, yeah, apparently, it's, ba- it's basically the part of the movie where James Wan gets to you like like show off his like horror directing skills. Right. Yes. And uh, apparently Warner's was so happy with this and they're so happy about Aquaman being a big hit that rather than just wait for a, a Aquaman sequel, they're they're going all in and making an Aquaman spinoff that's about these creatures. It's about the trench and uh, none of the main Aquaman characters are going to be in it. So, you know, Jason Momoa isn't going to be in it. Amber Heard isn't going to be in it. So it's just going to be a completely separate thing. It, it's pretty much what they've done with James Wan's conjuring universe, basically where they make one movie and then they start spinning things off. So, which I guess makes sense because James Wan is involved in both of these. So, uh, that, that's what's happening. Who, who is involved in this? Do you know? Uh, let's see. So Noah Gardner and Aiden, Aiden Fitzgerald, who I've never actually heard of, will write the script and Wan is going to produce it with, uh, Peter Safran, who also produced Aquaman. It, it, have you seen Aquaman yet? 
I have not seen it yet. I, I've seen clips of this scene, but I have not seen the full movie yet. Yeah. Uh, is this Now that they're making a horror movie, will you go out and watch Aquaman? Well, the the Blu-ray is coming to me, so I'm definitely going to watch it. But I'm I'm really excited about this. I feel like this is such a strange, different approach to, you know, superhero movies. And this is what I want people to be doing. I, I'm tired of, you know, the same old, same old. I like the idea of taking a superhero movie and doing something really, like, weird with it. And the idea of just taking Aquaman and then making a horror movie based on that is so out there and uh i you know it's risky and it's different and i i'm i'm looking forward to that so you're kind of selling me on this but my first reaction to this news was that warner brothers just saw all the reviews and in every review of aquaman people pointed out this trench sequence because i mean i'm sure i'm sure that's true too but that doesn't mean the movie can't be good i mean HG. I'm intrigued. Yeah, I'm intrigued by this because, uh, like everyone else, uh, the trench sequence uh, was the best part of Aquaman, and it was James Wan flexing his horror muscle, but also introducing this sort of Lovecraftian uh, imagery into this film, which really fit with the, the just Gonzo visual style of the entire movie, and I, I think this would work actually very well as a low budget horror film. At, or, that's what they're planning to do, more, more of like a low mid-budget film. And um, I, I think this could be a good film. I'm, I'm intrigued because their, their design is really cool. And even though they're a bunch of kind of faceless zombie-like monsters, they could be a good villain. I'm, not, I'm sure they won't be like the main characters or anything of this film. But um, I think that this would make a really just interesting and uh, compelling horror movie. I just wonder how how low budget can it be if like you know it takes place underwater, but uh, or do you think this is like people from our world keep on disappearing near this trench? Yeah, I'm guessing it's gonna be like you know like John Carpenter's The Fog, where there's like a a seaside town getting attacked by trench monsters. Like it's not gonna be like in Aquaman, where uh. there's like thousands of them. I'm guessing it's gonna be like a few who end up you know. A t- there's, I'm sure it'll be like a kid in it. There's always a kid in a movie. <laughs> he's like, the trench are coming. And his mom's like, you're full of shit. And then the, the trench show up and start eating people. Maybe the kid can talk to fish and then they'll be like, oh, maybe he's half Atlantean or something. Right, yeah. And then yeah, he'll be exactly. in Aquaman too. Yeah. <laughs> and then it's revealed in the third act that the, that the trench monsters were just after the kid because he has special abilities of some kind. Right? Uh, See, we wrote this entire we made movie. the movie. Hire yeah. Warner Brothers. <laughs> okay, let's move on to an, the actual Aquaman 2. It, it is announced that it is actually officially in the works. HG, what do we know? Yeah, so Warner Brothers has tapped David Leslie Johnson McGoldrick, who co-wrote the first film with Will Beale, to pen the script for the Aquaman sequel. And this is the first steps toward development for this film. Um, it hasn't officially been you know, greenlit yet, but this is a basically confirmation that this film is in the works. And um, the studio still has to sign off on the script, as it, does it's James happening. Wan, it made, but it it's made happening. so much money, yeah. Yeah, exactly. This was their biggest DC Universe hit, even more so than The Dark Knight Rises outside of the DC Extended Universe. So definitely an Aquaman 2 is going to happen. So um, there there aren't really any details other than that, that um, David Leslie Johnson McGoldrick, who has a very long uh, name full of first names, um, is going to be penning this script. Uh, we don't know yet if Will Beale will be joining him again or if James Wan will be back to direct. 
I'm assuming not, but you never know. Uh, he seemed like excited to explore the other kingdoms in that in this uh, world that he created in Aquaman. So uh, we'll have to see. Um, but let's move on to a story that we've been <laughs> talking about for the last few months, and that is uh, these Marvel Netflix shows and what's the future of them. It, it, every other week, it, it feels like we hear a different uh, story and a different uh, answer. Uh, ben, what did we hear this week? Yeah, so the latest is uh, Craig Erwick, who is the senior vice president of originals at Hulu, was asked if Hulu was interested in bringing any of those canceled live action Marvel shows like Daredevil and Luke Cage and Iron Fist back to life on Hulu. And he said, Marvel has a ton of titles we'd be interested in. It just kind of depends on when they're ready and who, most importantly, is going to be behind these things. We've had a relationship with Marvel since Runaways. We're getting into business with them on these animated shows. I'm sure it will lead to yada, yada, yada. So anyway, that that's the, the gist of his quote there. Uh, a ton of titles that we'd be interested in. So that sort of leaves the door open that these shows could theoretically be resurrected at Hulu. And I speculated that might happen, you know, uh, weeks ago when we were talking about this initially, because Bob Iger, who is the uh, head of Disney, the CEO there, wants to invest more heavily in Hulu. And Disney is about to own 60% of Hulu as soon as that Fox acquisition uh, acquisition goes through. Um, and then, you know, bringing these shows, which have a built-in fan base and are sort of more uh, violent, not really like kid-friendly kind of shows that maybe would probably wouldn't fit very well on Disney Plus, bringing those to Hulu might be a good way to attract more global subscribers, which is what they're trying to do with Hulu. Um, so yeah, that again, this is all very like <laughs> theoretical. And I wish for the love of God, somebody just come out and officially say on the record what is going to happen with these things so we yeah. can just stop speculating about this. But that's the latest. I mean, everything you said there, Ben, sounds logical. But that quote from that Hulu executive to me sounds like wishful thinking. Like, oh, yeah, it'd be great to have more, you know, content mm-hmm. that people care about on our start. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, right. that, that, that's basically what it sounds like. It's like it depends on who's involved or whatever. So it doesn't even seem like he's too sure of like, oh, would they bring, you know, Daredevil back from the dead, you know, with the actors and creative people involved? Right. Like, it, it, I'm I'm assuming it would be rebooted entirely, but yeah, it's possible because you know we don't know what the contracts are like for people like Charlie Cox and some of the other stars and like even the showrunners and writers for those shows. But I, I you know, he said Marvel has a ton of titles we'd be interested in, so that could just mean. We're interested in Daredevil as a property, for example, not necessarily this exact version of Daredevil that has already existed. So maybe they just mean, you know, three years down the line, uh, they could, yeah, reboot a Daredevil type of show on Hulu or something. That That is also possible, too. So I, I just I really hope somebody makes a decision here. I'm wondering if maybe after the uh, Disney Fox deal physically goes through, if Disney is going to make any sort of announcement and Marvel or if they're going to make any sort of announcement about what is going to happen there. So hopefully that deal ends up going through, which I think the last we heard, it could go through as soon as the end of this month. So uh, stay tuned, I guess. But do do you think they would even reboot these characters at this point? Like, I know we've seen that in movies. Like, we've seen a lot of movies recently where, you know, only a year or two after the last installment, they're rebooting that character with a new actor and completely new story. Um, but we don't see that on TV a lot. Do you think it would work with like Daredevil? 
Man, I don't know. I, I never, uh, to be honest with you, I never really watched beyond Daredevil. I got yeah. like halfway through the first season or something. And, uh, you know, I've, I've followed these shows sort of from afar. So I'm not sure. I don't know. I, I almost wish that they would get um, just re-envisioned in animated form. Like you guys were talking about, you know, on, on a recent episode of the show about how Hulu is getting into business with Marvel, working on those animated series. Maybe that would be a good way to sort of... Um, you know, transition from this into an animated form and then back out into live action in a rebooted form there. I don't know. Okay, let's move on to our last topic, and that is the Frozen 2 trailer that hit this morning. We're going to give our reaction to that trailer. So if you have not seen the teaser trailer for Frozen 2, uh, now is your opportunity to check it out. I am shocked, guys. Uh, I woke up this morning and watched the Caesar trailer, and it's nothing like I expected. This is like, this to me plays like a Marvel teaser trailer. Like, it has this really dramatic music. Uh, the that the opening shots of um, Elsa with the waves and stuff almost looks like a live action movie. And uh, the whole thing plays like epic and not. Uh, Disney whimsical and fun, uh, you know, everything I think we, we've come to know, know with this franchise. Like, I feel like it's not here. Like, who is this trailer trying to appeal to? Like, I feel like it's not. Hey, hey, hey Peter. J- Jacob? Yeah, this is Jacob Hall, the managing editor at Slashlum.com. And I heard you talk about the uh, Frozen trailer and figured I'd jump in and say something about it real quick. Okay. Because. Uh, my reaction was initially very similar to yours. Why and how are they selling Frozen 2 with this strangely grim, very serious trailer? And maybe it's because I have, let's see, I guess three nephews. Oh, sorry, two nephews and two nieces now. And I know a lot of parents. But I feel like in the past five years, Frozen went from being a movie that people genuinely love and was really surprising and inspiring to a lot of people to being almost a meme, a, a movie that's only talked about in terms of how many times parents had to hear Let It Go, how many times parents had to deal with Olaf, how many times it's been reduced to the movie that's, been, that's put on 30 times a weekend because the kids are watching nothing else. And I think people over these years have forgotten that Frozen was like a legit movie with really lovable characters and a great story and messages that meant something. So even though this trailer is really heavy-handed in its attempt to really sell Frozen 2 as a quote-unquote serious movie, I feel like it's a successful attempt to remind people that, hey, Frozen was not some directed video junk your kid likes. It was a Oscar-winning movie that people went head over heels for in like a genuine passionate way. So I'm not sure if the trailer is successful, but I do think as a reminder of that, I have to admire the intent. Hmm. I will say there were um, looking back in, at frozen, there were some dark moments that may have translated to this more darker trailer for the sequel. And that was, you know, sequences where, uh, I think Hans, the evil prince, like almost killed Elsa with a sword. And like if she hadn't, or Anna, sorry, almost killed Anna with a sword. And if he hadn't like been stopped by Elsa, there would have been blood. And um, uh, I don't know, other moments like that where uh, Frozen got into strangely dark territory. But Disney has done that before with their films. There has been death and murder and uh, loss and like some melancholic moments. Uh, But yeah, I think that 
despite taking that into account, this trailer and the sequel looks a lot much more, a lot more adult and a lot more serious than uh, anything I expected. Do you think it's also, um, you know, the people I know that have kids, it's almost like they grew up with Frozen and now they're kind of over it. They're like, you know, getting to, into the age of like, oh, that's that's a kid movie. So do you think they're trying to appeal to those children who are, you know, getting into that age as well? Yeah, Maybe. I think it's a, yeah, I think it's 100 percent accurate. I, I remember when I was a kid, I went to the age where like in the years after I loved a movie, I'd be like. Like I remember, you know, I hate to say, I hate to admit this, but in the years after I saw Toy Story for the first time, I thought, man, Toy Story is for kids. Why, did, man, I was so dumb. Why did I like that? And it wasn't until I kind of looped back around on that when I got a little bit older, saying, hey, Toy Story was actually good. <laughs> why was I, why was I rejecting Toy Story just because I liked it when I was younger? So I think Peter's onto something here. Chris, what are your thoughts on this Frozen Two trailer? Uh, I mean, it's very brief, so it's hard to get too much of a a feel for it, but it looks great. Like, visually, it looks cool. And I have to admit, like that ending where they're looking out at, I don't know, trees or something, and the, the music starts like swelling. I was like, ooh, this is very uh, dramatic. I'm, I'm enjoying this. I mean, I liked the first Frozen, although I think that movie is very, um, it's very top heavy. I feel like the last like 45 minutes of that movie are very forgettable. And all I really remember are, you know, the beginning half and like, you know, every the minute they start hanging out with the trolls or something, I was like this, I don't care about this at all. And <laughs> so uh, I'm hoping that, you know, they learn their lesson and, you know, this, this will be better. I mean, Frozen is definitely not my favorite Disney, like di- recent Disney movie. Like I think like Moana is like a million times better. Yes. I, I have not seen Tangled, but I hear that's better. So, you know, I'm not like, frozen but uh, uh you know i liked the first film enough i liked the songs enough that uh i will i will give this a chance ben any thoughts uh i'm a big fan of frozen i like this trailer a lot i thought it was you know very surprising but really cool there's a lot of cool imagery here like uh anna doing like a uh, leap of faith from indiana jones in the last crusade <laughs> moment in there um i i cynic the cynical part of me wonders if they're marketing this you know, in addition to the reasons that you guys mentioned before, uh, in like sort of an action heavy way, because it has two female protagonists and they're trying to reach out to like the young boy uh, market and like make the movie seem cool for them. You know, uh, I think we've we've probably talked about uh, uh, movies taking that tact before. Um, I mean, the whole rename naming it uh, Frozen instead of the Snow Queen and Tangled for that matter, renaming that Tangled instead of Rapunzel was definitely a tact that um, Disney used before. But both of those films tend were both very like female geared anyway. So I think that that original marketing tactic did not work out. Yeah. And H.G., you you are doing a trailer breakdown for this trailer on the site. Uh, There's a bunch of stuff in this trailer that I wanted to ask you about. Like, who are these new kids? Do we know? We don't know yet, but we do know that there are two new characters that are played by Evan Rachel Wood and Sterling K. Brown. And that's possibly these two characters that we see. One is a, a young girl in a sort of like tunic and pants. And another is a man who is blonde and is kind of flying through the leaves. And uh, we have there's been speculation before that um, Elsa would be getting a girlfriend. So um, with Evan Rachel Wood cast, that was that speculation heightened and possibly this could be happening with this new character. And um, we also saw in a poster released alongside the trailer that um, 
it is hinted by Josh Gad that this poster has a, a hidden message in it. And people are speculating that that means something about the four seasons. And because this trailer is very fall foliage centric and we see this young man flying through leaves that possibly we see we're going to meet a character who can control leaves mm. <laughs> and like fall fall um centric sort of powers and other summer and potentially um spring centric powers and i know you're probably the biggest fan of frozen out of this group what did you think of the trailer outside of you know the mac uh, the mar- marketing tactics I was blown away by the animation. Like the waves in particular are so photorealistic that um, Brad Oman, who uh, is pointed this out in our Slack, uh, he said that they also looks almost out of place because the waves look so realistic. And she kind of is maintaining her same, um, you know, CGI self. But I was really impressed with this. It is very action packed, which uh, made me feel like, yeah, this is kind of more more catered towards the demographic that again wasn't quite that into frozen <laughs> in the first place like male demographic and stuff um so i wonder what direction this film will go and it is still a, tre- a teaser trailer so we don't know yet and um i do i will say i did like frozen a lot um i am one of those people who think that tangled and moana are both better than frozen i think uh, I agree with Chris too. Like that, I really liked the first half until we end up with the singing rocks, and <laughs> that was not a fun part for me. And I kind of still wish that they did a straight adaptation of the Snow Queen because that would have been amazing. But um, I still really like Frozen. I think the talent is great, and like uh, we also got a glimpse of, or sneak peek rather, of the one of the original songs for this movie, which um, is just like Idina Menzel vocalizing. But it sounds really great. So um, we'll see. I'm sure with the original team behind it, that Frozen 2 will be just as good, um, if not better, than the first. I'm just surprised that they're not playing up the music more. Like, there Mm -hmm. isn't even, like, a really hint of a musical number in this trailer. Uh, Jacob, I know you you give her your defense of how they're marketing this film, uh, but what did you think overall? I think it looks beautiful. Uh, I think the imagery looks great. Like I said, I'm not sold on the tone the trailer is taking, but like I said, I, I think it's purely them trying to remind people that Frozen's not a joke. Yeah. Uh, I am. I want to hear music. I hope there are more songs because, as everybody's mentioned before, Fr- Frozen acts like it's going to have the big closing musical number, and then it doesn't, and it's extremely frustrating to revisit it for that reason. So I want. I love the feeling of adventure and scope on this trailer, but I hope they go a full Moana and remember this is a musical until the very end and don't stop suddenly having music so they can make way for plot like a lot of Disney movies have in recent years. Very cool. Okay, you can read all the stories we've talked about on today's podcast on SlashFilm.com and linked in the show notes. This podcast, SlashFilm Daily, is published every weekday on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at peter at SlashFilm.com. And please rate and review this podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends. Spread the word. And we'll see you tomorrow.